It's a stunner from Fabio Quagliarella. notes from Giuseppe Verde. Mean time for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio told like it is and always at the highest level. Frank Crivello here. Happy that you are along for the ride yet again. Uh, joining me as always, we have pulled him from the trenches of early fatherhood to uh, spend a little time with us. Co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. <laughs> Ciao, Frank. How are we doing tonight? Uh, better than you because you're not sleeping. Yes, yes. Can <laughs> so, you tell my voice, huh? <laughs> yeah, I can tell in your voice, but you're 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 through the moon you're, you're through the moon though because of the because of your son. So absolutely, it's worth it. Yeah. So it's all the all the emotions all the emotions at once. So uh, so yeah, so the the sleep's getting less and less. Uh, baby's doing a little bit better, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, he definitely is, and uh, and, and I'm just running on adrenaline at this point. But the baby's doing great, mom's doing great, uh, puppy's even doing great. So yeah, we're we're all good. Good, better than my lock of the week pick. Um, but uh, (laughs) i did say callier would score a goal (laughs) so uh you know so we got that we we got got that going for us we'll talk about those picks here a little bit later on in the podcast but um we do have a guest with us this week um on the city i sit down uh he is joining us for his fourth appearance or as i say fourth cap uh, freelance journalist covering Italian football, uh, featured at official AS Roma, uh, the editor of AS Roma Press, um, also uh, has done some features for Euro Fantasy Game, and yes, uh, the Serie A sit-down Roma curse is alive and well, and I deliberately did this knowing Milan were playing Roma to book this guy for this podcast, John Solano. Ciao, John. You're the Grim Reaper. I got to say no next time, especially if it's in the wake of a Milan-Roma match. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I won't do this again. You know what? We'll get Scott Monroe on to do the next uh, to do the reverse fixture for Roma-Milan and watch watch you guys just spank us off the pitch like four <laughs> nil. So uh, something. Uh, this isn't working. Whatever we've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I left you alone for the uh, Champions League semifinals last uh, last season. We we're going to try to get you out. We, you know, I was thinking about getting you on to do a preview of those, but uh, I thought, no, 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 I want Roman to win. Uh, <laughs> but that that didn't that didn't work either. How are things? Uh, dandy, going well. Um, I'm certainly better. I'm doing better than Roma's early season. So, by all by all measures and accounts, that's pretty good. <laughs> and we have some uh, questions and answers uh, rounded up for for you on uh, that. So uh, we will get into a Q&A with John talking a little Roma here. But uh, prior to that, Richard is going to give us the rundown on what happened on Friday, the marquee game of match week three between AC Milan and Roma. Take it away, Richard. Yeah, so the game was actually a Friday night, uh, 8.30 local time. It was uh, 2.30 here on the East Coast of the U.S. Um, it was Milan hosting Roma at the San Siro. Um, Milan's home opener for the season. Uh, this is the second game for them. While this is Roma's third game, coming into the into this game, uh, Roma were on four points, one win and one draw. While Milan had zero points due to a loss to Napoli the previous week. Um, so this one was a, a, a packed house at San Siro, as you would imagine. 
Um, the game, uh, you know, going into this one, it's it, we were curious to see which team, which of the teams would show up. You know, you know, we had Roma who had some decent games, but you know, it was still a little iffy. In Milan, they had some nice glimpses against Napoli, but then eventually um, broke down and got destroyed three goals in a row and lost that game. Totally, totally capitulated that one. So uh, we're curious to see how this is going to come in. And um, off the bat, uh, Milan seemed to be on the front foot on this one. Uh, Frank, they came out very, very well in the, in the first half. Uh, they seemed to put the, um, the pressure to Roma right away. Roma sat back, soaked up the pressure. But it was it seemed to be one-way traffic for the most part of the first half, don't you think? I, I agree. And I think the one element that was missing, and I, you know, not to uh, knock Fabio Barini because I actually thought he was quite serviceable in the game at Napoli, but having the presence of a Hakan Chalhanolu, um, or Chalhanolu, uh, my, my friend Marcelo at Milan Weekly Pod, we have differences on how that name should be pronounced. Um, but, uh, you know, his presence certainly made a difference in Milan being able to establish uh, themselves, not only going forward, but defensively, you know, Hakan wins the extra tackle that maybe Barini doesn't win. Um, and I think that that part of his game goes a little bit unnoticed and goes a little bit underrated. Um, you know, so I think that he made a difference. I think that we saw a uh, night and day improvement out of Lucas Bilia from the uh, Napoli game. And I think that those were two uh, key contributors uh, to what was going on here. I have a quick question for um, John. When I saw Roma's lineup, the first thing that I wanted to say, and I wrote this down purposely to ask you whether Roma was going to win this game or lose, I wanted to kind of pick your brain on your reaction to this team that De Francesco picked because he clearly did not watch Milan at Napoli and watching Milan struggle with Callejon and Insigne. And granted, maybe guys like Under and Clivert aren't Callejon and Insigne, but they would have. I would have figured starting guys like them or you know at least at least one out and out winger out there would have presented some problems for Milan's fullbacks. Yeah. I, um, I was on an Italian radio show earlier in the week discussing the match and I thought Milan where they can be had is on the flank and Roma where they built the majority of their play is actually on the flank. Anyone who has watched them consistently under Di Francesco, they almost exclusively play on the flank. They build up their play from the flank, uh, the entire buildup works on the wings. And in the few occasions that we've seen Jekko and Patrick Sheik play together, it has been disaster would be putting it lightly. They just don't work together. Uh, Di Francesco said after the match he wanted a more physical side. But to me, that made little to no sense when you have a player like Clivert who he is the most dynamic attacker they have. And anybody who watched that Torino match he was sensational. And Milan, um, you know, you have Calabria and then you have Rodriguez. I mean, defensively, those two don't exactly instill loads of confidence. And Under, who he he was suffering from cramps reportedly, but I think he could have played. And Clivert, in my opinion, just in terms of quality, are head and shoulders above those two. So for him to go with the the duo of... Sheik and Jekyll with Pastore behind. Um, to me, it made no sense whatsoever. And it doesn't seem to make sense, too, to try to out-muscle Milan when they got two fairly good-sized center backs and then you got Kessie in the uh, in the midfield as well. So, you know, 
as Frank was just saying, you know, Milan, and you you were said as well, Milan are weak on the, on the flanks there, and that's where they would have been to have, you know, both Under and, and Kluivert for sure would have been able to capitalize on that. So, John, what do you make of that uh, you know, for most of the first half? Um, it was still 0-0. You guys were just sitting back. Was that you think that was the game plan, or is that, that just Milan was attacking full force and, and Roma had no answers to that? I mean, I, I watched all 90 minutes, and then I watched bits and pieces again. I couldn't tell you what what the approach was. I mean, again, Di Francesco said it was to utilize the physical qualities of Schick and Jeko, but if you don't have wingers who are willing and able to get good crosses in, it, it makes playing like that utterly pointless. Pastore, especially in the first half, he couldn't get anything done in between the lines. I was completely baffled at the approach just because... You couldn't even tell he was out there. No, no. And this was coming off of a performance against Atalanta where he obviously he had that world-class goal in the first minute or second minute. Um, but when they went to a 4-2-3-1 and he was playing right behind Dzeko with two wingers on each, with a winger on his right, winger on his left, that was the best half of football he played. He looked fantastic. So it, just to me... The way Roma have to play is in a four-two-three-one. You have to put Pastore as a ten. He does not work as a mezzala, and it's clear, especially in that first half. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Roma only had one or two shots in that first half. I might be wrong, but I think it was only one or two. So it was clear, just things were not working whatsoever. And from the Milan perspective, not only was Chalahanalu doing extremely well, but Bilia was having a, a very, very good game at this point, and Iguain was actually in the involved in the game, unlike the Napoli matchup. Uh, Milan kept going with shots after shots. Um, finally, in the 40th minute, uh, Jack Bonaventura he finds a nice little pass out to the left uh, to Ricardo Rodriguez. He makes a move on the defender, crosses it through the crease, and this happened. Bonaventura. Very tight and congested. He's picked a pass there for Rodriguez. Great ball made. There's the breakthrough. And it's Kessier for Milan. Wonderful scenes at San Siro here. Frank Kessier with the backdoor goal uh, gives Milan the much-deserved lead 1-0 in the 40th minute. Uh, that's the score would go into halftime. Frank, uh, overall, just a beautiful play. And Kessier did brilliantly to go on the back door because that's, that's a play not many people would, will go after. And he, he went after it full force. Very nice Um Team build up on that. Very nice, uh, very nice finish. And, you know, the way and just kind of watching how Roma were situating themselves, especially defensively and, and especially the, the the play of Robin Olsen in goal. If there was going to be goals scored on him, you're going to have to find a way to do some sort of misdirect direction or some sort of being able to backdoor a defender, which is what Milan were able to do on that goal. Um you know, because I thought, John, throughout the game, I, I thought Olsen was actually pretty good. His positioning was good. You know, he stopped what he was supposed to stop. And this one in the first half, that's that's clearly not on Olsen. That's not, that's on the defenders failing to track Kessie. Yeah, yeah, that was 100% on Federico Fazio, who has been arguably one of the worst defenders in all of Serie A so far this season. Um, I believe his mistakes, his individual mistakes, um well, at least one or two against Atalanta, and then this one, he's been terrible. I, I, how he made it onto a World Cup squad with this sort of uh, ability is just 
head scratching. And I, th- I, I agree with you. I, I thought Olsen was good um, against Atalanta. I think he should have stopped the goal against Torino. I thought, I mean, obviously he had a couple of errors that didn't ultimately end up in goals, but you know, people were absolutely ragging on Munchie when they brought him in this summer. But I mean, you can't really argue with his performances so far. I don't think he's been bad whatsoever. No, he's been, he's been a great pickup for you guys. And, People continually want to doubt Monchi, but anybody he picks, it seems to work out for whoever, whatever team he's on. So uh, that's another solid goaltender you guys have there. So it would go into halftime, one nothing for Milan. Um, Roma clearly needed to do something, and so something they did. They took out Ivan Marcano and they brought in uh, Stefan El Sharawi. Obviously, this is a positive move. Um, you had to have liked the move, a uh, positive move at least for um, for Roma there, John. Uh, coming out of halftime. Yeah, El Shadawi, very confusing guy. He's one of those players where it's either a great move or a, or a really poor move. But I thought when he was brought on, that was positive. I was very surprised he left Schick on the pitch and kept him at right wing because time after time after time in Italian newspapers, radio shows, I mean, Di Francesco gets hammered, absolutely hammered for putting Schick on the wing. Um, every time we hear Gianpaolo of Sampdoria get asked about Schick, he says he's not a winger. I don't know why he's being played out wide. And again, for the life of me, I cannot understand what Di Francesco is doing. I would have brought in two wingers. I would have taken Schick off. I would have brought on El Shadawi, and I would have brought on uh, Clivert as well. So I, this is one thing I just didn't understand because Schick, it, by no stretch of the imagination, is he a winger. Was that almost like a... 4-2-2-2 two, two, two look to you when, when El Sharawi came on. It almost kind of seemed that way because, you know, he, I don't know. I, it didn't feel to me that El Sharawi was really playing that that particularly wide because Pastori certainly wasn't. He was kind of hanging on the left, but he was playing a little more narrow. It was it, it, it looked more like 4-2-2-2 two, two, two to me than anything where, you know, Sheik all of a sudden is starting to pinch a little closer to Jekyll, at least from the early exchanges in the second half. Yeah, it was weird. The way their formations are when they're in attack, it almost at times looks like a 4-2-1-3 because they allow Pastore a lot of license to roam forward, and they keep uh, Dedalsi obviously pretty far back, um, depending on if Inzonzi or Cristante is on the pitch, depending on who is there. Um, usually they'll let one of those two um, venture forward as well. But it's just, I literally just wrote about this an hour ago. It's just so weird to see Di Francesco just experiment like this in match. That That's the biggest problem. I mean, I still think like on paper, Roma are one of the best two or three teams in Serie A. I just think their manager is the biggest thing holding them back. And I, I believe this is the second time Gattuso has beaten Di Francesco head to head. And for me... Especially tactically, we saw it against Napoli. I don't think Gattuso is very good tac- tactically or technically speaking. Um, I think he needs that. That's an area where he really needs to grow. But I mean, he just gets the most out of every single one of his players. He lights a fire under them, and that's just something that you just want to grab Di Francesco by the neck sometimes. And be like, dude, what, like, what are you doing? Wake up! Um, and we saw him punch the bench last week, break his hand. I mean, that was a nice little moment. But it's like, I mean, it, it's nice when you do it in the Champions League against Barcelona. But, it, you know, at some point, you having accomplished that loses its luster when you're, you know, 
again, no offense to Gattuso, but I, you know, from a tactical point of view, I don't think he's that strong of a manager. I think he's just a fantastic man manager, sort of a bit like Conte, not great tactically, but he gets the most out of his guys. And that's just something Di Francesco lacks in my opinion. Mm. So yeah, that's, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great point there. Um, so, you know, speaking of Gattuso and his tactics and we saw what happened last week against Napoli, how Milan kind of just fell apart. And it started to seem like Milan was heading that way. Uh, Roma started to get some of the possession back, um, started putting pressure on Gianluigi Donnarumma. Um, and then finally, um, in the 59th minute, Giacomo Benaventura concedes a corner kick. Uh, corner kick comes in. Donnarumma attempts to punch it out, uh, does a poor job of it, gets right to El Sharawi, who knocks it back in the box. Then Calabria doing who knows what, just gifts a pass to Fazio. And Fazio does this. Sharawi back in. De Rossi was there. Oh, the shot is in. Roma a level. And it's Federico Fazio who scores the goal. Well, Milan have crumbled once again. And Roma on the comeback trail once more. It's one apiece at San Siro. Puts it in the back of the net. We got game on 1-1. One, one. Um, John, at this point, you had to be feeling satisfied as you know, Milan had most of the play in the game so far to this point, and it's 1-1. Yeah, I was quite confident when when Fazio got that goal. Um, and, and it was funny, too, because I thought Roma probably could have had at least one more goal because Donnarumma, I don't know what it is when he plays Roma, but yeah. um, his head just goes up his rear end. Um when he plays the ball, I just don't understand what he's doing at times. He gifts it so many times back to Roma. I, I was so disappointed they didn't make the most of uh, one of the poor passes that he had. Because I counted two or three of them where uh, Romagnoli will play the ball back to him. And the way he kicks it, he just lacks confidence. It's really weird to see, especially a, a young goalkeeper of his ilk. He's top class, but something with him when he's got the ball at his feet, just you, you almost hold your breath. I think he's still trying to figure it out, you know, even at a young age play. I mean, we got to remember this is a 19-year-old goalkeeper. I mean, and yes, he has a world of talent. And I don't want to go out being an out-and-out Donnarumma apologist um, because I will call him out when he gets it wrong. And um, the pundit on this game uh, from 11 Sports through, you know, ESPN Plus here, you know, it took the words right out of my mouth. And I think something was said about this guy, about Donnarumma last week at Napoli on maybe the first Zielinski goal. Um, he's six foot five, and he's going to have to figure out how to make use of being six foot five. Yeah. I mean, six foot five plus his wingspan and his hands in the air is taller than anything anybody can offer in Serie A. Catch that ball. Okay. Stop punching it. You know, that was a, a teenage mistake on his part um, that led to a flurry of mistakes, led to Calabria with a just a kind of a half-hearted stab at a ball instead of a confident clearance, and it did. It fell confidently for, for Fazio. And let's, that's not the easiest finish in the world there for Fazio either. So that's a center back doing that. Right, yeah. I was actually surprised. He, I mean, he, he volleyed it actually pretty well. I, I was shocked at how calmly he finished that. Mm-hmm. Certainly an excellent finish ride by Fazio. Uh, to make it 1-1, one, one, uh, and Milan fans were starting to wonder. I know Frank and I were, you know, with the wheels unravel on this one. Um, but, you know, two minutes later, Milan responded. Uh, Giacomo Bonaventura p- passes up the middle to a wide-open uh, jo- um, Gonzalo Higuain, who nets his first goal, Frank. But then the whistle gets called, and they go to VAR, and it's uh, offsides. 
good call. Um, though, if like I said, I went to Twitter and I said, if we're Juventus, that goal stands. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, if he's wearing um, another jersey, he would open good goal. Right. If he was back at you, yeah, if he was back at Juve, that would be a goal. But uh, no, I mean, if he, this is another example where and and and, and kudos to VAR so far this season in Serie A, they haven't. You know, there hasn't been any controversy with them. It's in there to do their job. We haven't had anything to scream about yet. And I stress yet because I'm sure it's coming. Uh, but no, they got it right here. Yeah, no, but as, as, um, absolutely right call on that one for sure. Uh, but that's going to be good signs to see Milan still, you know, trying to fight back after getting a goal scored on them. Um, you know, last year it seemed like when they gave up a goal, another one was sure to follow. We saw that last week as well. So, uh, it's good, good to see, uh, from a lawn perspective that, you know, they they got some fight in them, a little bit left. Uh, they didn't get completely knocked out last week. So, um, Roma may be sensing that they were going to start to, uh, lose the battle once again of the, of the possession, uh, made a change. Uh, Javier Prastori, who was, uh, fairly quiet in this matchup, came off. Uh, Brian Cristante came on. Um, that seemed to give a little bit more life to, for Roma. Roma kept pressing against, uh, Milan and Donnarumma. And then we would get a corner kick, uh, and Steven and Zanzi would score, John. Um, and then, no, they go to VAR, and uh looks like it's a handball, no goal. What, what was your take on that? Yeah, the second I saw it, I knew that was coming back. <laughs> I, uh, I I got but excited, it, it, obviously, with the goal. But, I mean, once you saw it in slow motion, I, to me, that was more obvious than than the offside call, uh, offside call of Higuain. But, John, if you're Huvay, that goal stands. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I will say, I mean, we've seen worse not get called, but again, big matchup like this, things like that obviously need to be looked at, and I'm glad it was. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, that, another good call was, it was, I think, a double handball, maybe a triple handball by Nzunzi. At least he had a good finish on that, I guess. But we'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, another substitution worth mentioning, uh, Davis Anton, he would come on. Uh, he came on for Rick Karsdorp. Um, what do you what do you, what do you make of Santon so far this season? You got him from Inter Nazionale. Um, oh, he guess he was last year was with Newcastle, I believe. Um, no, yeah, I think he was with no, he was with Inter last year. He season. was with Inter. Um, yep. Yeah, th- I mean, this was his first appearance. Um, in the preseason, he was re- really, 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 really bad. Um, I, I have to admit, when they first bought him, I was just beyond puzzled. Um, I guess I was more puzzled by the nine million euros valuation that they were giving him in that entire operation involving Nigelon. But um, I think he's one of those guys. I mean, I'm sure all of us here are old enough to remember when he was hyped beyond belief as the next Maldini, and obviously he hasn't lived up to it. Um, but I, I, I think the biggest, I guess, positive in his corner is just changing a change of air. A change of environment, you know, some players, that's what they need to rediscover, rediscover their form. Um, for me, I mean, his ability to play on the right or left can, you know, be be a positive. I don't think he's going to play in these big Champions League matches. If he does, it's because the result is going one way or the other or there's an injury. <laughs> but I do think he can be serviceable, especially when you're playing teams lower in the table and someone like Colorado, Florenzi, Karsdorp needs a rest. Um, and he didn't actually play that bad in this match um despite i mean i'm sure there's loads of supporters with an agenda against him who no matter what he does they'll say he was poor but i actually didn't think he put a foot wrong he wasn't an issue whatsoever in my opinion 
Mm-hmm. So with, with in this game, you know, it's, it started to look like Romo were starting to get their foot on the, on the ball possession wise, and I'm, and I was curious to see what kind of substitutions Gattuso would make. Would it be positive ones, negative ones, or neutral ones? Um, in the past, he's always done like for like, uh, not necessarily always going for the game, going for the winner. Uh, the first substitution we saw from Milan, Frank uh, Ricardo Rodriguez would come off for Diego Laxalt at the like for like basically there. Uh, slight improvement there on the attacking front with Laxalt because he. He's definitely much more of an attacking guy, and he he's an overall better player than Rodriguez, I think. Um, next, we'd have Chalanolu would come off in the 81st minute. Uh, he would come on for um, the new man, uh, Samuel Castillejo. Um, he was someone who's a very that was a very positive substitution, um, very very much like for like. The one though that swung it for me was uh, when Giacomo Bonaventura came off in the 84th. He brought on Patrick Cotrone. You've had to like the substitutions you saw there, Frank. Uh, at the end of this one, Milan was really trying to go for it, it looked like, by the substitutions. Well, I'll, I'll just take this from a step-by-step um, approach as I watch the game. The, the Laxalt substitution I actually liked because I liked what I saw from him in the Napoli game. Um, I liked the role that he was being asked to play, like-for-like substitution for Rodriguez. Um, yeah, he offers a lot going forward, um, but he has a very, very high work rate, which can, you know, that late in the game is going to trouble an opponent, especially an opponent that might not have, be at 100% fitness. Yet, and let's let's face it. After you know three games into the season, a lot of these players aren't at 100 percent fitness. Um, you know, so that is of use. Now, the Castillejo for Chalhanolu, I scratched my head. Um, I thought Chalhanolu was maybe it was one of those where he was just getting tired. Um, this was a very peculiar situation to throw a player like Castillejo in his first game yeah. uh, in Serie A. Um, you know, but you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, it ended up worked out. But at the time, I'm like, this is this is strange. The Cutroni substitution, absolutely. Uh, I texted a friend of mine and I said, he's going for it. I like it. Um, you know, we're either we're either getting three points or we're getting no points. And and I think that that also sends the message to the rest of the team that hey, we're going to try to win this game. Um, I'm not making these substitutions to hang on to what we got. We're not going to do this here at Milan. So. That was a, a positive substitution that I was glad to see that I don't know if many managers before Gattuso would have done, not even Montella. So, um, you know, so all in all, that was my, those, those were kind of my reactions to each of the substitutions. John, as, as the minutes start dwindling, uh, it starts looking like we may have a draw in this one. Uh, were you confident that, that Roma could hold off for the draw, or did you get worried seeing Cotrone come on and, and Milan starting to mount some kind of pressure with Iguain and then Cotrone getting their shots off? No, honestly, I, I thought they were going to get the draw. I mean, we saw last season, particularly so many times in the winter, uh, Roma essentially, pardon my French, but they shithoused their way to 1-0, results where they had under 10 shots in the match, and I thought this was just another one of those performances that, despite playing pretty poorly, particularly in the first half, I thought that they were going to somehow grab at least a point. After that, Inzonzi um, goal was annulled. I I thought if they could at least get a set piece, just because they had several guys on the pitch who were quite tall, um, I thought they would at least give themselves an opportunity. But um, yeah, I, I have to say, when it was still 1-1, I, I thought they would ultimately get at least a point. Yeah, and, and, and so the minutes kept dwindling, and I, I mean, I for sure thought it was going to be a draw. I was just happy that, you know, they, Milan would uh, not lose three points like they did against uh, Napoli. Uh, so time's ticking, time's ticking, and Milan's building, building more pressure, trying to get that goal. Um, 
we're into the last minute of the game now. Steven Nzanzi, that's the guy we talked about earlier. He had his chance to get a goal. Uh, it gets taken away, and then he gives one back. Um, he tries to do too much, John, and turns it over right to Calabria, of all people. Uh, Calabria toe pokes it to, to Iguain. Iguain, instead of shooting, which everyone in the world thought he was going to do, slips a beautiful pass to Patrick Cutrone on the backside. One times a goal, beautiful goal. Zonzi. It's been given away to Calabria. Iguain. Oh, it's a lovely ball. Great chance here. Cutrone has surely won it. What a finish at San Siro. Milan wins at the death. Uh, that had to have stung you, John. A goal that late in the game with no chance of coming back. Yeah, that was pretty bitter. Um, and I felt especially bad for Nzonzi because I thought, in my opinion, he was the best one on the pitch for for, for Roma. The defense was bad. Nobody in attack really stood out. Terossi was very mediocre. Pastore, Cristante in the midfield weren't that great. I thought Nzonzi was quite good throughout and... To have his performance sort of scarred by that mistake um, was really, really disappointing. Um, and it looked like a very, very amateur level mistake, too. So that was extremely bitter to see happen. So, so Frank, all in all, a late win for Milan, a dramatic win for Milan, gets some three points. Had they lost this game, there would have been seven points behind Roma, who many people feel that it's, it's Milan's closest opponent to getting that Champions League spot opinions may vary on that but ultimately good performance for milan in your perspective huh um i mean it was a very much needed three points uh you know and i even said it when i did my my piece on my fearless predictions i i predicted this exact result that milan would win 2-1 um i'll pet I'm, yes i'm patting myself on the back as i'm saying this uh but um you know i think that it would have been uh you know, same old, same old if it ended in a draw. Uh, more dropped points, you know, and we're going to be looking at this saying, man, we've we've dropped five points already uh, through two games against two opponents that, you know, a couple things bounce a little bit differently. We're easily sitting on six points. I even saw some guys on Meal on Twitter that were making the, uh, um, that were getting... That were that were saying, you know what? On the one end, I'm ecstatic about this Roma win, but on the other end, I think of that Napoli game and said, man, we should be on six points right now, uh, you know, against two teams that we're going to be fighting for points with all season long for Champions League places. So there's a little bit of there's a little bit of truth to that, but I mean, when the goal got scored by Cutrone, I just I, my son and I were watching, and I just grabbed him and I just I gave him a big bear hug and threw him on the couch, and he's just laughing and. Because uh, he knows it's he, he he he's he's six and a half years old, but he knows it's in fun. He knows I'm not trying to hurt him. So, um, but uh, and he's a Juve fan. So, but uh, but he but he but he enjoyed it. But uh, um, the under the radar thing throughout all of this, and yes, Iguain's pass magnificent. Kutronik's finish very very cool. But Davide Calabria to read that pass at that moment, he misses. Roma are going forward, and Milan are at a disadvantage. And it could very well easily be Roma counter and get a 2-1 win. I mean, that's how that's how critical that particular play was by by Calabria. You know, and in that moment he redeemed himself for his, you know, for his error on the on, on what led to Roma's equalizer. So um but uh on the one end, yes, Milan probably deserved the three points, just looking at that they had the possession superiority, they had the chances, you know, they were superior on the chances and the shots. 
But as you know, John and I have been, you know, mainly John has been saying, I think that they have DeFrancesco to thank um, for helping to get this three points and some of the decisions that he made, not starting a winger uh, from the beginning, which I thought was very, very odd. Not even playing Justin Clyburn at all in this game. Um, you know, I, I'm curious, John, if there was anything to why he didn't play or if DeFrancesco had any remarks for that, because I think that, you know, he has certainly shined. Um, you know, when he came on against Torino and in particular when he came on against Atalanta when you guys were behind in that game. And um, uh, and I definitely agree with you. I thought Steven Nzonzi has been a terrific influence on this team, uh, you know, when he came on against Atalanta and, and for the 90, 95 minutes here against Milan. Yeah, he didn't address Clivert specifically. He was asked why he went with the approach. And like I said earlier, he said he wanted a physical approach. Again, I... I just, for the life of me, I mean, even a casual Milan fan could, you know, would concede that, particularly at right back, left back, that's probably where they could be had. Um, whereas Roma, um, particularly up the middle, that's where they're vulnerable. Vulnerable when you have the likes of De Rossi there. Um, I, I was just very, very confused because they were coming off uh, a, a three to one comeback draw against Atalanta, and when they scored those two goals to come back from from a 3-1 deficit, they were playing a 4-2-3-1 in Zonzi and Didossi behind Pastore um, and Under on the right and then another winger on the left and then Jekko up top. Um, and that was the best they've looked all season. And I, I really thought he would try and alter things and, and go for it a little bit more. But, um, that, you know, he, he opted against doing that. And I... I mean, in hindsight, I'm sure he would change it if he had the opportunity to do so again, just because, um, you know, they they look so, so poor, so, so poor. Um, and I, you know, he keeps doing this. Uh, it's almost like experimentation in match, and they, they just can't afford it. They can't afford it. Um, you know, the, is it because it's is it because we're at the beginning of the season and he thinks that, OK, I, I can do this now? Well. There's a number of, you know, and, and, and we're kind of transitioning into a Q&A with you here on Roma. Um, you know, some, uh, you know, a number of new faces now at Roma. Um, do you find that Di Francesco is using these first few games as kind of an experimental period that it's okay for him to tinker a little bit as part of the process of understanding who he's got and what he's got? Uh, you know, he might be. Um, the only problem is that Roma really can't afford that because they're they're a club who's who's, uh, I guess, transfer market future, however you want to label label it, is so sensitive and they need to qualify for Europe. So they just don't have the luxury of experimenting in match versus the likes of Juve. I mean, look at Juve now. Um, I mean, they have Ronaldo. They're trying a variety of formations, a variety of approaches, and they're still getting results doing so. Um, that's just something that Roma don't have the luxury to do. And it's a little curious because they sold Strootman, they sold Nangolan, they brought in Pastore, Cristante, Cioric, and Zonzi, a number of players who were supposed mm-hmm. to fit Di Francesco's 4-3-3 formation a little better. Um, and it just seems like they're doing everything but playing that 4-3-3 in the way that he played last season. So mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been massively confused about what his goal and what um, you know, the ultimate end game is for him. And he, he, he better switch it up very fast because I don't know if you guys saw, but Antonio Conte was in the stands and 
the oh, yeah. rumors are starting to swirl. Mm. And if he continues to flounder like this, I, I would give it another two to three weeks. If they're not able to rally, if you look at their league schedule, in my opinion, th- these next six matches, they should win. Um, they have a couple uh, lower level teams. They have Lazio, which is always a big match. But uh, for me, I-, I think on paper, they're better than Lazio. Um, if he's not able to get a good string of results here in the next month, uh, well, two to three weeks, we'll say, um, he's really going to start feeling the pressure because you have Antonio Conte out there. You have a very motivated president who has made it no secret that he's willing to ax a manager at the drop of the hat. We saw what he did with Rudy Garcia and brought in Spalletti. Um, he, he, he better get his act together because um, the leash on him, in my opinion, is extremely, extremely, extremely short. Extremely mm. short. Mm. Interesting, interesting stuff there. Um, I do want to get into it. I've, I've got a question. We've actually enlisted our uh, followers to try to give us a question, but this comes actually from a friend who uh, who lives here where I live. Um, his name is uh, his name is Frank DiCastri, um, and uh, he asks um, just he, as a, and he's a big Roma fan. Uh, wants a rundown on where Roma stands uh, financially at this point. They've made a few. They've made a few offseason moves as we've discussed. Sold some players for good money as you've discussed. Added some not inexpensive ones. And last year's Champions League obviously padded the bank account. Um, how are things looking now? And what does the next year look like from a financial perspective? Yeah, I, I've maintained the same stance that until the stadium opens, they're going to continue this trend of buying low, selling high. Or you know, spending high on players who are rather young that have way that have loads of potential, just like they did with Cliver. They, you know, when it's all said and done, they'll spend almost twenty million euros on Cliver. But you know, if he performs well and does, you know, is successful at Roma, I mean, he's one of those players you could easily see going for three, four, five times more than what they paid for him. Um, so I think until the stadium opens, this is you know what we're going to see. Um, they were one of the biggest spenders. I mean, obviously not net, but, um, you know, just in terms of uh, gross spenders in, in Europe uh, this summer. Um, but obviously a lot of that has to do with two or three big sales. But, um, you know, financially they made it, uh, you know, right around 100 million euros from the Champions League last season. Um, qualifying and playing in the Champions League is vitally important for this club. And I think I mentioned it either uh, earlier, but. That's why I think the you know the leash is so short on Di Francesco, because Palota, the club knows if they don't qualify for the Champions League, um, disaster doesn't even begin to describe what sort of transfer market people would see. Um, Roma fans are generally uh, they like to whine a lot about the market. Um, if if they weren't able to qualify for the Champions League. Um, I can't even begin to tell you what sort of clear out we would see just because uh, they, they, they simply can't afford it. They, they can't afford it. There are about 41 million in the red still in terms of revenue. So um, mm. they have work to do. But I mean, when you look at that number relative to, I mean, Milan, Inter, uh, you know, really Juve is Juve and Napoli. They're, they're you know two of the clubs who, who operate pretty soundly. And obviously with Juve having that stadium is the biggest game changer. Uh, you keep all the match day revenue. It, it's a no brainer, which is why 
we're seeing all these clubs all of a sudden um, when things are going bad, everyone mentions the stadium. Yep. So it, it's a every club in Italy should be aiming for that, but it's so difficult as we've seen with Roma. Um, I mean, they haven't even put a shovel in the ground, and it's been four or five years of this just bureaucracy that's been holding things up. So, um, yeah, I mean, financially, this is how they're going to operate until the stadium opens. I can tell you that unequivocally, 100%. Um, the owner, Palotta, his right-hand man, Zaka, these are these are hedge fund guys. I mean, this is what they do. So um, I, I wouldn't expect a change in dynamic, especially in terms of the market, anytime soon. One of our uh, listener questions we have from uh, from Michael Lisi, um, he says, Totti clearly lingered to, de- to the detriment of the club. Uh, will they learn their lesson and move on from De Rossi, or is he different, and how? Also, who's this successor to the Roma leadership mantle? Florenzi's the one that jumps to mind for me, but you tell me as inside man. Ooh, um, well, <laughs> about a week ago, they said they were going to renew De Rossi for another season next year, which... Oops. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, anyone who's listened to read me, um, they know my opinion on that matter. Um, you have a glo- you have such a glowing opinion of him. Yeah, you know I mean, that from our not, podcast here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people that you know they think it's personal, but it, you know it's not. Um, you know, I, I just think that you know it's one thing to you know to keep an older player, but it's another thing to keep an older player and give him a you know a rather important role. Um, you know, did all see. He played two matches this week. Um, that should never happen. He's 35 years old. He cannot play 180 minutes in a week because I can't even begin to think what his next performance is going to be. Um, for a number of years now, Dadossi has been one of the most hot and cold players I've ever seen. He'll play brilliantly like he did in the latter stages of last season, um, but he'll also play extremely poor. Uh, we saw early last season he gifted Napoli a 1-0 uh, victory at the Stadio Olimpico. Um, he's just one of those guys that he's a total enigma. You don't know wh- what you're getting each weekend. It could be a brilliant performance like it was against Torino. In my opinion, he was the man of the match. Or uh, he could just be completely anonymous and not really offer much. Um, for me, against Milan, you really wouldn't have had any idea he was even on the pitch. So... Uh, Obviously, in the dressing room, he has an important role. He's one of the leaders of the team. He's one of the leaders of the club. And obviously, that's very, very important. Um, I, I think, actually, right now, one of the biggest problems for Roma is they don't have a lot of characters, a lot of great personalities in the dressing room. So I think at this point, his his leadership is very valuable. But just in terms of on the pitch, he doesn't really offer much. Um, and the biggest worry for me is when he ultimately does leave. Um, we, I mean, obviously, we've seen since the days of Tati that uh, the captain of, of Roma has been Rome-born. He's been a, a, a Roma supporter since they were a child. And really, the only ones in the club who, who fit that uh, description right now are Pellegrini and Florenzi. And those are – there's a tendency with with Roma supporters when you find someone who is Rome-born – um, we tend to give them a little more leeway than we would, uh, you know, some right, someone else right. from <laughs> South America. And we see it time after time again. I mean, there's there's people who think Totti should still be playing, which to me just blows my mind. Um, <laughs> I mean, there were people angry at the way Roma handled Totti's retirement. I mean, regardless of what you think, I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a reason why you don't see many 42, 43-year-olds playing. Um, so it, it, it's a very sensitive subject. So... 
Um, and anybody who's seen me lately knows what I think of Florenzi, knows what I think of Pellegrini, um, two just overrated players. If they weren't Rome-born, they would have been shipped out of the club two or three years ago. Um, Pellegrini, he was called up to the Azzurri. Um, I can't think of a single match where he performed well. And I, that sounds extremely harsh, but um, I can think of one last season where he was decent against Spal. Um, but anyone who watched him in the Champions League, um, he looked like a player who belonged in the second or third tier of Italian football. Very, very poor. Very, very poor. Okay. So in terms of leadership characteristics, um, I don't really know who fits the bill. So just, you know, just in that regard, that also has a pretty valuable role. Um, but you would hope that one of these younger players can maybe develop, um, you know, some character in that regard and, Maybe, you, could, you know, the flag can be passed on from Dodossi to somebody else. But, um, I mean, Florenzi, decent player, but I, I don't know if I'm ready to give him the, the armband yet. Quick couple of questions here for me, John. Um, uh, Rich and I will get a little more in-depth in this later in the podcast uh, with the Champions League preview. But your thoughts on the draw, uh, Roma getting Real Madrid, uh, CSKA Moscow, and Platzen. Um, so a couple of trips to Eastern Europe, but this Roma team under Di Francesco are used to that, having to go out to Karabag and having to go out to Shakhtar last season. Uh, so your thoughts on the prospects uh, with the Champions League draw? It should every, You look at it on the surface and you think it's cut and dry, Real Madrid and Roma, just a matter of what order. And also want your take on the drama with Malcolm. Um, so first the Champions League draw, um, just because the Malcolm thing is just something I was so deep in. It's, I could go through a million text messages and just get angry all over again. Um, you can just give me a short answer on Malcolm. I'm good with that. (laughs) Um, I thought the Champions League draw, quite frankly, I thought Roma had the best one. Um, I thought Juve's draw was quite difficult. Obviously Napoli's draw was pretty horrendous. I agree. I agree. Um, Roma's got I, the best draw of the Italian team. I, sure. I thought, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I think of all Italian teams, I thought Roma made out the best. Um, and I particularly love the calendar because they get the first match against Real Madrid out of the way. It's the very first one, um, mm. which is fantastic in my opinion. And then um, it's followed by two matches at home against uh, Moscow and Pilsen. So um, sort of like I always say, um, I think the path to progression is pretty clear. You win your win your home matches um, and try and steal one on the on you know away from home, regardless of where it is. Um, you know, in my opinion, pills in Moscow at home that should be six points. Pills in on the road that should be nine. Usually, nine points in the second position will get it done. Um, it's difficult to see Moscow or pills in getting more than six. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't want to curse anything, but to me. Um, I mean, progression, should they fail to progress? I mean, that would be a disaster of the highest order just because Moscow looks very, very poor in the Russian league right now. They're not doing great. Um, Pilsen, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I know a lot about the, you know, the Czech league, but it's the Czech league. So, um, to me, it, it should be a no brainer whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just said, I, you know, I thought they got the easiest draw, um, People were saying Juve's draw was pretty easy too, but I, you know, I, I thought it was pretty tricky. Valencia could be a difficult opponent. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree with that. Yeah, so I, I was quite pleased with the draw. Um, initially, when people saw Madrid, they they were quite worried, but I mean, in the end, um, I, I, you know, I'd rather be in a group with Madrid with two 
pretty poor teams in pot three and four. So sure. um, I, I don't think there could be any complaints. Um, the whole Malcolm thing, that's uh, really, really, really bizarre. Um, I interviewed his agent at least a dozen times over a week and a half. And Which I mean, one? Again, it sounds like now there was like a half dozen of them. Yeah, there was so, one that was talking to Roma, and then the other five were talking to Barcelona. Yeah, so the the main agent, Fernando Garcia, I interviewed him at least 10 to 15 times. Um, and I interviewed the intermediary um, of the operation as well. Uh, really just, it's difficult. I, I got to say, I've never seen anything like it before. Um, mm. Both the intermediary and Garcia told me it was done. I'll be there later tonight. Um, and then it ultimately ended up that one of the agents who works for Garcia was brokering a deal the whole time with Barcelona. So obviously not not the best of uh, behaviors on on the, uh, the player's entourage, but I thought Bordeaux was pretty uh, shady <laughs> in the deal as well. Um, particularly, I don't know if you guys read Monchi's interview, but he said Bordeaux insisted on putting out a tweet and for anyone who doesn't know, Roma are publicly traded. So anytime a club like that puts out a statement, uh, Roma by by law are forced to respond. So, sure. um, you know, Bordeaux insisting on a on a statement being put out was uh, pretty interesting. Right when I saw that statement, I knew something was up because mm. uh, Roma have never done that once um, in the whole time I followed them. So, um, again, they're an SPA on the Milan stock market. So they have to respond to, you know, anytime another club puts out a tweet like that. So the second I saw that, I, you know, the, the, the red, you know, the, the red siren started going off in my head just because that was very unusual. Um, then ultimately, yeah, he ends up at Barcelona, which is just a little peculiar for me because I don't know about you guys, but I don't see him getting more than 20 matches maybe. Whereas Roma, he's an out and out starter. So, um, yeah, very, very curious. I mean, I think it was curious on both ends. Number one, um, uh, you know, number one, the, the the Barcelona situation, to your point, but then to Roma, the, I mean, how many more wingers does Roma need? <laughs> um, you know, or, or at least at least wide attacking players uh, when they already had, uh, you know, El Sarawi, Clivert, Under, Tarotti, um, you know, all at their disposal. Um, you know, so it was kind of a, it was kind of a, a weird one to me to add him to the mix. I don't doubt the guy, I don't doubt the kid's talent what, whatsoever. I, I'd seen him play a couple of games with Bordeaux. So, um, yeah, I mean, if the, if the ultimate result is in, is in Zonzi, I mean, I'll absolutely take in Zonzi versus Malcolm because in my opinion, um, even if you factor in Nangolan, Strootman, uh, in Zonzi is the best midfielder, in my opinion, just in terms of quality that they've had since, since Pjanic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. I, I mean, if the if the if the parting gift, so to speak, of losing well, Malcolm was was in Zonzi, I, I mean, I'll take that result quite frankly. And from the game of the game and a half that Nzonzi so far played for Roma, it's uh, it, it it looks like Roma's going to come out good on this one. So oh, absolutely. So, but that's uh, I mean, I, I that John, we want to thank you for um, uh, for taking the time to join us, talk a little Milan Roma. Sorry that we keep. We keep doing this, and sorry that it's sorry that we're a curse with you. Uh, but yeah. uh, but in I'm the meantime, I'm on mute next time you guys call me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want a quick plug away anything here before we turn you loose? 
Uh, just the just the usual um, on Twitter at as Roma Press, and then the Roma Press podcast on on SoundCloud and and uh, iTunes. But I'm going to have you guys on mine next time because th- this 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 has got to stop. Sounds I'm good. in. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. Just to prove that it's only a one-way curse. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Thanks, guys. John, great having you on. Thanks, as always. <laughs> so, um, Well, Richard, that was John Solano. Again, excellent insight about all things AS Roma uh, with him. It's uh, it's always a delight to have him on, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. John. Uh, John's a, a great great source of information on Roma. Um, you know, we we see a lot about Roma from the outside, but it's nice to have someone on the inside who who deals with the club day to day and has great great you know resources and stuff. That so it's great to rely on someone like him to really get down to stuff like the Malcolm stuff. We had no idea what was going on there, and just a little bit tidbit he gave us there was just like more than I could ever find. So uh, that's great stuff. Well, believe it or not, you folks are a little over 50 minutes in with us only just covering one game, and we've got a lot to cover, so we're just going to batch the other nine. Here we go. Okay, well, obviously, uh, when you look at the slate, certainly uh, Milan and Roma were the marquee game, Richard, uh, so let's just jump into the results and kind of bundle all of these together. We apologize to all of our uh, other fan bases that um, – uh, you know, that we're limiting the time. But when you have a slight like this, Milan-Roma was the main event um, with the rest of these others, but certainly some compelling games. We'll start with what took place on Saturday. Bologna and Inter, that was, that ended 3-0 to Inter. Um, 0-0 at halftime. And it uh, looks like Inter were going to continue their struggles, but uh, there's their big, one of their big summer signings, Raja Nangalan, in his first game uh, with the Nerazzurri, turns up. Uh, and scores a, a very nice goal, uh, you know, at least from a technique standpoint. Uh, those goals are followed by Antonio Contreva in the 82nd minute and Ivan Perisic in the 85th minute. Uh, Richard, in this one, Perisic in particular, very influential, but uh, nice to see uh, the uh, 38 million euro investment pay off right away with Nainggolan. Yeah, and his debut, no less. Uh, it's great to see Nainggolan get off to a hot start with um not only Spalletti, but also Internazionale. And uh, they did all that. They scored three goals against a, a good Bologna squad without Maro Icardi. So Perisic was very instrumental, uh, but as was Nainggolan. And, and his goal proved it, uh, like you said, a great technique to finish that. Uh, but he was everywhere in that game. And I'm still trying to get used to number 14 on him, not number four, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And while this is the Inter that we probably expected to see finally turning up, especially in the uh, you know last quarter or so of this game, my goodness, Bologna, we we certainly thought there would be we would see better from them than this at this point. Uh, one point, no goals scored yet under Pipo Inzaghi. Yeah, the guy who's known for uh, having late night sessions for goal scorers, and a guy who's a goal scorer himself. His team can't score a goal. It's uh, it's 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 damning and it's unfortunate. Um, you you want you you know you're pulling for the guys, the great guys. Uh, you, he sounds like he would be a good head coach, but you know he struggled at Milan and um, he did very well at Vincenzo, but now he's over here uh, or Venezia, sorry, and now he's uh, at Bologna and they're struggling right now. So maybe they just need a a, a goal, any goal, to kickstart their team in the right direction. I saw some of this game and just whenever Bologna had the ball in the attack, I just there, there's some new pieces there. Clearly, obviously, Simone Verde was a big part of their team last season. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, when you watch them attack, it just it looks like guys just aren't on the same page yet, and I think that that's the issue with this Bologna team. Um, you know, 
hopefully Bologna's owners realize this and are going to give people in Zaghi a little more time to get this sorted out. Uh, but, uh, you know, for the players that they brought in, especially the type of goal scorers they've got, Falcinelli, Federico Santander among them, uh, to have three goals or to have three games and no goals, that's, that's a little disheartening at this point. So um, uh, the other game on uh, Saturday night was uh, Parma hosting Juventus. Uh, Mario Mandzukic got an, oh, look what I found goal uh, two minutes <laughs> in. And uh, did, it was just so silly when that happened. Did you see that? He just all of a sudden last yeah. second, oh, the ball's falling to me. I'll just tuck it in. So, Great job by him, though. That was like it, out of nowhere. He said, oh, there it is. Boom, goal. Yeah, yeah. Presence of mind. Where, ball's around here somewhere. Oh, it's right in front of me. All right, yep, I'll score. Yep. <laughs> so uh, Gervinho uh, turning back yeah. the clock and, and scoring a very nice cross coming in there. And I believe that was from Gobi. Um, you know, to equalize 1-1 and uh, giving a little hope to the Parma fans, but a nicely worked goal between Mandzukic and Matuidi and the Frenchman finishes it off in the 58th minute and finishes off Parma. Let's get to that Cristiano Ronaldo goal tracker. Oh, he has as many as you and I, Frank. Yeah, yeah, we have as many goal, Serie A goals as Cristiano Ronaldo. You know what? He is on pace to score as many Serie A goals as you and I. <laughs> and, Ka- and Kandreva. Wait, Kandreva has more than him now. Oh, oops. Kandreva has That's outscored bad. him. Benassi... Yeah. We'll get to in a minute. He has three more than Ronaldo. <laughs> so Federico Fazio has, a, has has one more goal than Ronaldo. Oh, we can uh, we can talk about some of the stooges in this league that have more goals than Cristiano Ronaldo at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hey, uh, There's a human side to him. Now, 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 let me ask you this about Ronaldo real quick before we get on to the next game. Is this... <sighs> You know, it's just, is this a, just going to be a universal, who cares how good you are when you come to Serie A for the first time this season, there's a learning curve and it's going to take you some time. Are we seeing a little bit of that or are we seeing a little bit of, oh, he's 33? No, I think it's more of the, the former. Um, yeah. and it's also that defenses are, are going to be out there trying to stop him from scoring. They don't want to be the guy, the, the team that lets up three, four goals by Ronaldo. So everyone's going to have a conceded effort, a concerted effort to try to stop him from scoring. And so far they're doing it. Um, Kievo, who's even a team that struggles, has stopped him. So, um, yeah, that, I think it's the former. It's definitely not. It's not definitely being thirty-three years. Thirty-three years old. He's definitely had his opportunities. Goalies have played better in front of Ronaldo, and as has the defenses in front of him. And before I get to the rest of the recap, the rest of the slate here, Richard, I'm going to take a minute here to have a chat with uh, the Juventus fans that listen to our podcast and Ju- Juventus Twitter and everybody out there, um, because I see tweets all the way from. Yeah, we got nine points, but boy, there's a lot to be desired out there. I could throw all 20 of these fucking teams in a hat right now, Richard, regardless of who they are. And I could pull any one out of them and I could say here that they've got problems. All 20 teams have problems right now, Richard. All 20. Okay. Here's what's working for Juventus. Three wins from three. You've got nine points and you're going to get better. Okay. I know you're going to get better. You know they're going to get better. Richard knows Juventus is going to get better. Shut up and sit down. Take the points as this thing gets sorted out. You have one of the best managers in Europe in Max Allegri. I'm going to give him that much credit. He's going to get this sorted out. He's going to figure out the right mix. These players are going to figure it out, and they're going to get better. You have the points now, and you're at the top of the table, and you're complaining. Give me a break. Give me a break. Yeah, and people are gonna say, "Oh, you beat Parma. You barely beat Parma." Parma actually looks pretty good now with Gervinho in there. You know, yeah. Roberto Inglese, Gervinho, and they got some. They got some pieces there. They're gonna be okay. They're not gonna be as bad as we thought initially. But yeah, everyone has their problems right now, and, and Juve are now without. 
But look, you got nine points, and you're not your best player hasn't scored a goal yet. Come yeah, on, exactly. Come That's on now. You have nine points, and your and your and your pretty boy hasn't scored a goal yet. Paulo Dybala hasn't scored a goal yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Eventually, the floodgates are going to open with this team. Chill out. You have three wins from three. You're the only team in the league with three wins from three. Okay? This is a long season. Changes will get made. Tweaks will get made. Teams get better. Juventus, in particular, are going to get better. I'm sure someone out there at Juve Juve Twitter is probably saying, but we're only two points ahead of Sassuolo. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to be crap and have three wins from three. You know? I'll take that all day long. And put my faith in my team saying, yeah, we're going to be better. Wait till, wait till these guys figure it all out. Just absurd. I mean, just spoiled brats. No, mm-hmm. you, you now all of a sudden deserve to have lost seven European Cup finals. So, I've got some Juve. I'm, I'm, I'm friends with some Juve fans, too. And I don't want to pick fights. But my goodness, chill out. You know, have some real problems. Be, you want to be Bologna? <laughs> Can't even score a goal. Yeah, they can't even score a damn goal. And, and, they, and they made some adequate replacements for Simone Verdi. And they have Lucas Skorupski in goal. They have one point from three games. So, you know, just chill out. Enjoy the ride. You're going to win the Scudetto again. You're going to be a player for the Champions League. And this thing's going to get better as you go on. Just because they're not going out and, and, and walking the league right now doesn't mean – and that's not Allegri's tactics anyway. He's not going to come out like Guardiola and win games 5-6-0. He's going to be resourceful. Win by two goals. Get out of there. You know, preserve the team throughout the course of the season. It's just, I don't get Juve fans sometime, Richard. I just don't. So, and that's my rant of the day. So let's move on to. <laughs> having said that, let's move on to Sunday's games. Uh, it opened with Fiorentina and Udinese at the Artemio Franchi, and uh, Fiorentina would nick this one by a goal to nil. Uh, on a goal from Marco Benassi uh, from some fine work from Federico Chiesa, Richard Chiesa, um, early on through these first two games, really proving his talent. He is a catalyst for this team. Um, this team is young, and they needed someone to be a lightning rod for them, and obviously Chiesa stepped up to the plate, and it's great to see, uh, not only for Viola fans, but also for all Italian fans and Azzurri fans. Uh, Chiesa, we're hoping that becomes uh, the next you know, starlet uh, for the for the Azuri, and he's he's shown it this season that he's he's up for the challenge. Indeed, indeed, and a, and two for two for Fiorentina. Very nice start uh, for the youngest team in Serie A when you look at average age. Okay, moving on to a game that I got horribly wrong. Um, Atalanta apparently when they went to Copenhagen on Thursday, Richard, they forgot to bring their scoring boots with them, and then when they came home to Bergamo, uh, they apparently were stolen because uh, they didn't score on Cagliari. How think, do you get? Think, how do you get? Three goals against Roma, four goals against Frozenoni, and Cagliari, who gives up goals to everybody, you can't score on them. Well, see, the problem is they, they sold Cornelius to Copenhagen, so I think he stole their boots and left it and took in Denmark. Um, <laughs> that's the only explanation I can think of because Cagliari looked pretty decent against them. I watched this game, and uh, it was a— You're the guy. <laughs> I am the guy, yeah. And, and I was surprised. I'm like, what's going on here? I'm like, Atalanta just looked terrible. Cagliari looked okay, but— Atalanta were just terrible. They, they're were they hung over. Were they, were they hung over from Copenhagen? Absolutely, absolutely. They looked at. See, I didn't think that would be a problem. I, a Gasparini coach team. He rotated. They went to Roma. They scored three goals. I thought, okay, now you got Cagliari coming to Atalanta. Regardless of what happens, they're gonna they're gonna crush these guys. And it, hey, that's Maybe why they got to, took out of the, Yeah, that's why they play the games. That was my lock of the week. I thought Atalanta would win four one. At least I got the one right. So, there you go positives. <laughs> yeah. Oops. 
Kievo, Kievo and Empoli might as well not have played. Uh, they ended up nil-nil. Um, to be fair to Empoli, it was all Empoli in this game. I watched parts of it for as much as I could tolerate. You're the uh, guy. Yeah. <laughs> Kievo looked terrible in this game, and the fact that Empoli couldn't score was ridiculous. Oh, oh, so it's two points lost for Empoli in their bid to try to survive. Um, Lazio and Frozenoni, and Lazio, after having to go through the first two weeks of playing the the playing second and first uh, from last season back to back, probably welcomed the idea of playing Frozenoni at home. And I don't think they cared about how they played against them. They just wanted three points. They got that through Luis Alberto on a ball that kind of got bobbled around in the penalty area. But uh, giving the Bianca Celesti a much, much needed three points, Richard. Yeah, and uh, it looked like they were struggling for goals. Sergei Milinkovic Savic was missing goals. Immobile was missing empty nets. Uh, it looked like they were were bound to get drawn in this game because Frozen only really weren't putting up a fight. But they another, they, they scratched the goal another, up. Another Milinkovic Savic stinker too, from what you know, yeah. from at least from what I saw. Yeah, so, it was. Ugh, he's got a little attitude on him, so. And uh, you better get it quickly. Okay, so uh, the next one at the uh, Luigi Ferraris. I called this as my shock of the week. Uh, if you guys watched my video, that Sampdoria would beat Napoli. And guess what? They did. They actually beat him worse than I thought they would. 3-0 to Sampdoria. Gregoire Dufrel getting a brace in the 11th and 32nd minute. And, yeah, we're going to have to do the sound on this one, Richard. 75th minute. How about this? It's Bereshinsky. That's a little bit better. It is a stutter from Fabio Quagliarella to cap a famous, famous night for Sampdoria. Instinctive genius rolling back the years. Quagliarella seals the win. Fabio Quagliarella telling Javier Pastori, hold my beer. <laughs> I mean, that's oh, all you amazing can say goal. That. So, uh, goal of the week for sure. That's a stone-cold lock when we do our video this week, Richard. And uh, right now, front-runner for goal of the season. Yeah, right now it's uh, his goal to beat uh, the power he put on that back heel on that shot. Oh, what a goal. I mean, oh, amazing player, amazing player. Dare to Quarialela. Yeah, the old man. This is a country for old men. <laughs> so That's right. There's another guy who has more goals than Cristiano Ronaldo, and he's older than Ronaldo. So, <laughs> so. All right, well, then at the Mape, it got really fun. Uh, Sassuolo and Genoa, uh, Piatek scoring in the 27th minute, and then seven minutes later, Kevin Prince-Boateng gets his – uh, second goal of the season. Nice little uh, assist there by Kuma Babakar. Yeah. Uh, to spring Boateng on that goal. Well taken. Four minutes later, Paul Irola, uh puts him ahead. Kuma Babakar gets his own um, after Federico. I told you Federico Marchetti would be a problem for Genoa, and it really showed itself here today. Um, but uh, Babacar in the 41st minute, Spoli for Genoa decided, you know what, you guys are having so much fun. I'm going to score two. Problem is he's scoring his own goal. Uh, to make it 4-1 at halftime for the Nero Verdi. Ferrari made it 5-1 for Sassuolo. And this is where Sassuolo is fun bad. Genoa came back and got a couple. Uh, Pandev in the 70th, and then Piatek actually got a brace uh, in the 83rd minute. Uh, what we make of Genoa so far? I know, I mean, Sassuolo is going to be a nice story here. They they beat Inter. They rallied to draw Cagliari in the 97th minute uh, on, 10, on 10 men. And uh, this five-goal outburst against Genoa... Talk about these two teams. Sassuolo are going to be a fun ride as we expected. I even said it in my preview pod. This is going to be just a neutral's delight every time they play. Genoa, all of a sudden, this is finally where uh, the, the lack of not having Mattia or not having Mattia Perrin and having an older goalkeeper like Federico Marchetti is going to rear its ugly head. 
Yeah, first on Sassuolo, you know, it seems, at least at this point of the season, uh, two games or three games in, uh, that Kevin Prince Boateng is a lightning rod to help them. Uh, we they, they always had this talent on their team. They just couldn't figure it out. Last year, they had these three strikers that we for sure thought were going to score goals, and they couldn't uh, for the life of us. Uh, and then this year, they get Kevin Prince Boateng, and they all of a sudden seem to start scoring goals. Um, he was very instrumental in this goal in this game. Um, Babacar is finally getting his feet wet, and he's finally getting some goals, getting some nice assists that we saw on that Broateng goal. Um, this team is is turning out nice, and they they are gonna be pushing for the top half of the table. I, I'm gonna tell you right now. Um, I was not thinking this was gonna be possible. I thought they're gonna be better than they were last year, but um, yeah, right now they're looking very very good. And and I like I said, I think Kevin Prince Broateng has has brought something to this team. Maybe some maybe some uh charisma or some or, or some cockiness, but. The guys are starting to play now, and this is great to see. As for Genoa, they need to find a way to stop some goals because they're getting they're getting scored on left and right, and this is not what we expect. We're expecting the dentist chair when we go to Genoa to play them, and, and Mattia Perrin had a lot to do with it, if not all of it to do with that. Uh, Marchetti is obviously going to struggle with them. I thought he was going to do well. I didn't think he was that bad, but five goals today. I mean, geez. I mean, but but when he couldn't get into the Lazio lineup on a Lazio team that were giving up goals left and right last season, it had to, it, it tells you something when he's going to Genoa to be their number one. Yeah. But that's a huge departure. I mean, that's an even bigger departure from Patton than, 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 than even that, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it, they got to figure it out quick. And I don't know if they have someone in the, in the back, backing up for um, Marchetti. Cause if they don't, they're going to be in really big trouble. Maybe they can put Lapadula back there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. About, I don't know if Lapadula is interested. So, um, At least get and, then, that way. <laughs> and then finally, the, uh, the the last game we have to recap. We wondered if this game was even going to get completed tonight. Uh, Torino and Spal pretty much playing in a in a monsoon. Oh, um, did you watch this? I did. I saw some of it. The ball got waterlogged. I yeah, mean, they couldn't even. They, they yeah, couldn't even. They couldn't do anything. Yeah, and and I think the look at the referee and said, "This is bullshit. Can we get off the pitch, please?" Yeah, and, it, and the delay was forever, and they finally brought him back out there. The rain finally s- slowed down enough. Uh, then they played the game. The game ended half hour or forty five minutes after every other game when they all started at the same time. Uh, I, they, they thought the game was going to get canceled, but they didn't want to do another cancellation of a game, so they just kept waiting it out. And they came out with like pokers on, on the field, trying to drain the water as best they could. And yeah, it was a sloppy, sloppy game. So um, at least the goal was nice, but Encolo. So yeah, Encolo with the goal. Uh, on a set piece on a corner, uh, and Torino get the 1-0 win over Spal. So if we take a look at the Serie A table, Juventus um, and their crybaby fans are at the top on nine points, even though they're miserable and have no chance of winning anything, if you ask anybody on Juve Twitter at this point. Um, Sassuolo, uh, Sassuolo second on seven points. I mean, it's just so early. Um, you can't take a whole lot of stock uh, you know, in the... Um, in the race, but look in the bottom three. These are three teams that we're going to, you know, I mean, the bottom four. These are four teams that we're going to be used to seeing there at the bottom: Parma, Bologna, Frosinone, Chievo. Yeah. Um, you know, so that part of it is pretty legit. But Lazio on three points, I think that gets better. Milan on three points, clearly. Sampdoria three points. Those are all going to get better. So, very, very early days, Richard. Um, all in Champions League place right now. Hey. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's let's see how that looks by about match week ten. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, ball fans are rejo- should rejoice. This is about as high as they're going to be. Um, give me a winner and a loser from match week three. 
A winner and a loser. Well, Milan is obviously a winner, winning against Roma at home. Uh, that was much needed win. They could not go, afford to go be behind them seven points in the table, uh, especially if that's a team that most people are, are pegging to be the most likely team that they're going to battle for that Champions League spot. You do not want to go seven behind them right away to begin the season. So they're a winner for me. Um, uh, Sampdoria is the obvious winner. Qualiarella is obviously a winner in this one. But Sassuolo... Uh, you know they're 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 stringing together nice performances. Yes, it's early, but hey, uh, they they beat Inter. They 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 killed Genoa in this one. Yes, it's five three. Looks closer than it was, but it it wasn't that close at all. Um, and then if you look at losers, I mean, obviously you want to say Napoli. They got the you you called it. They said that they were going to have a uh, a little bit of a overlooking this team and 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 get caught, and they did. Um, and then the other loser would probably be Udinese. Um, Fiorentina—they got beat by a good team. Fiorentina. Fiorentina's having an excellent start to the season, but Udinese—they they need to get their points when they can. Um, you you call a draw for this one, I believe, and they would have loved to get a draw, and they need all the points they can get. I don't think they're going to be a, rele- a relegation type team, but you never know. We saw what happened last year, so um, that, that's an unfortunate for them. Yeah. And Kievo's always a loser, so uh, the, the the winner for me is Inter. Um, I mean, uh, clearly Milan, obviously with the big win over Roma. That 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 aside, the winner, uh, Inter. So that's what it's supposed to look like um, with uh, with some of the new signs, some of the new signings, especially uh, Nine Milan. Um, and I am expecting Inter to do more of this as the season goes on and as those players get acclimated. Uh, you know, it's one of those where maybe a team like Bologna came at the right time for them. They had that frustrating loss at Sassuolo. Uh, they could not hold on to the three points against Torino, uh, so they got it right here in this game. And you know now they go into the break. Uh, many players will go to play for their national teams. They'll come back. They'll get refocused. And I think that uh, you're going to see a lot of this uh, from Inter as the season goes on, especially when Icardi gets back into the lineup. Um, and then the loser is the other side of that one, Bologna. Uh, there's no way. I got two losers. I'll start with Bologna. There's no way you tell me that uh, with people in Zaghi as coach, with Falcinelli and, uh, and Santander joining, that Bologna would be goalless through their first three games, uh, especially with some of the teams that they were playing, playing Empoli, playing Frosinone, um, you know, home against Inter, where when, you know, they haven't beaten Inter in like eight years, but they at least sneak a goal um, in some of those games, especially when they're playing at home. Um, and Zaghi's got to get this sorted out. Hopefully the Bologna owners will give him enough of a, uh, a, a grace period to do so. Um, and then I'll, I'll throw Napoli in that bunch too. Now I'm left to question, you know, did, you know, were, are Napoli really that resilient in their comeback wins over Lazio or Milan? Or is that part of that a product of Lazio just never looked like they were willing to adjust at any point, Simone and Zaghi especially in that loss? I watched that game and it's like, what's Lazio doing differently to try to get back in that game? And then Milan just, getting the yips after giving up that, that, uh, that, that, that the Olinsky goal that made it two one, um, you know, and then, you know, you do credit Ancelotti with some of the changes after that and things like that. But, you know, is there still a mentality issue with Napoli? I have actually taken the time to listen to that Sempre podcast. That is one of the things that they've talked about. They continue to hammer away at the mentality issue and reared its ugly head here at Sampdoria. So, um, you know, Curious to see how uh, how that one's going to go moving forward. So uh, those are my losers. I mean, your thoughts on what I had to say? I mean, Falcinelli. I mean, this is two years in a row now. He did so well with Crotone, and then last year at Sassuolo, he was part of that, that, that triumvirate in the front that we thought was going to score, and they couldn't. 
and he's starting out Bologna this season very much the same way. He can't score. Uh, you begin to wonder, you know, whether, whether the problems are the team or maybe the player who's involved. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So, and then uh, my fearless five, I, my, my lock of the week. Sorry if you guys put a set, if you guys put a second mortgage out to bet on that game. Sorry. Um, I'm not paying you. So, uh, but, uh, you know, that one obviously, I got the shock right with Sampdoria beating Napoli. And the only other one that I missed, I missed uh, the Fiorentino Udinese. Thought that would be a draw. Nailed the Milan Roma scoreline, Richard. Um, Bravo. And then also, oh, that was my other loser, Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah. How yes, Ronaldo. Three games, no goals. Welcome to Serie A. It's going to be tougher than you'd think, sir. But anyway, uh, Milan Roma, and then also getting Torino correct as a winner. So three out of five this week, five out of five last week. When there's three possible outcomes to be eighty percent through the first two weeks, that's I'll take it. So, um, top five goals of the week, um, Richard. Let's start with your top five. All right, my top five. This is an interesting one for me because I saw some goals I liked and some that I, you know, I wasn't sure on. So I'm going to go my top five would probably be, um, I was going to say Barella was first my number five, but I think I'm going to go with Nyangolan. I like this technique. Uh, you were telling me, you were mentioning how much you like this technique, and I, and I looked at this goal, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? He did have really good technique on the goal. Um, number four for me, Matuidi, is a combination play between Mandzukic with a nice, beautiful pass to Matuidi, and he just blasted in the top top near corner. Uh, it was a brilliant goal there. Number three for me was Benassi uh, with the strike that he he got in the near side goal, top corner. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, powerful shot. Nothing the goalie could do about that. Number two for me, uh, Gregoire Defrel for Sampdoria, his first goal of the game. Uh, just blasted it past the keeper. Nothing... Um, uh, nothing that the goalkeeper could have done on that one. Ospina had no chance on that one. And then number one, obviously, is uh, old man Fabio Quagliarella. Uh, beautiful, beautiful goal. One up in Pastore from last week. So uh, that's my top five. What about you? So you've got Nangolan five, Matuidi four, Benassi three, Defrel's first goal second, and then Quagliarella's number one. Yes. You're all about the Sampdoria. Matthew Santangelo will love you for that. That's right. Um, <laughs> All right, my number five is Benassi uh, for Fiorentina. I just love the counterattack, love the work that Chiesa did there. Uh, my number four is the uh, set-piece goal by Nicola Barrera uh, for Cagliari. Uh, I have Defrel's goal that you described. I have that in at number three. Uh, and I like the Nainggolan goal so much that I think it's my number two goal of the week, and I'm with you on number one. How can I not be uh, with Fabio Quagliarella's goal for Sampdoria against Napoli? That is unanimously our goals of the week. And uh, Richard and I will fight over which, uh, you know, which top five goes into our video on YouTube. So <laughs> I'll probably just let you go ahead and put your top five in if you want. <laughs> okay. There's, you know, most of mine get in and, I, you know, I don't mind missing the, the Barala free kick. I don't have a – I definitely don't have an argument with a Matsuidi goal. So give us your, your thoughts on the goals of the week, your winners and losers. Go to at Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Let's jump into Italians in Europe. All right. Always drama, Richard, when they have these UEFA Champions League draws. In fact, I think these things are just a little drawn out. Just get on with the draw and let us get on with our lives. Drawn out and rigged. That's what UEFA is all about. Yeah, yeah. That's that's drawn out and rigged. So let's start with just in a nutshell, rank from easiest to toughest draws. I'm going to go first. I think Roma is the easiest. Juventus is second. Napoli's third. Inter's fourth. 
out of the Italian teams in the Champions League. What say you? All right, so read that to me again. You said Roma's obviously the easiest. Roma's the easiest. Juve's the second easiest. Napoli's third. third, And then Inter has got the toughest draw. All right. Um, Roma is definitely definitely the easiest. Um, Inter, they have Barcelona, PSV, and Tottenham. That's 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 hard. <laughs> that is hard, no doubt about it. Uh, Juventus has Manchester United, Valencia, and the Young Boys. Um, Juve would have the second easiest. I would agree with that. And then the other matchup is uh, Napoli has uh, Red Star Belgrade, Liverpool, and PSG. I am going to say, based on the third opponent, Liverpool, PSG are are probably equally as hard as Barcelona and Tottenham. And argue, you can argue about that all you want. But that's a wash there. I'm going to look at the third opponents in each of those groups, which is PSV and, and Red Star Belgrade. Red Star Belgrade is hell to play at. Um, I can't say the same for PSV. Maybe it is uh, going to going to Eindhoven, but I think it would be more most difficult to go to Red Star Belgrade to try to win a game there or get some points there. So I'm going to say Napoli's group is the hardest, just slightly over Inter. Okay. So you, 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 you basically, we, we agree on... Uh on Roma and Juve, but then yep. we're going to flip yep. Napoli and Inter. Um, what's the path for Inter in Group B? I mean, I don't. I, I, Barcelona is going to go through. They're probably going to go through this, as the group winner here. Um, do you see enough holes in PSV and even Tottenham Hotspur uh, that Inter can overcome that and grab second? Yeah, Inter should be able to get six points from PSV. Should. Uh, you never know when you go on the road or at home. Sometimes you get the yips, but... They should get six points from from PSV, and then then it's a matter of getting as many points as possible from the other two teams, right? Barcelona, you're probably going to say is a lock for the two wins, but you never know what can happen. Um, we saw that with with Roma last year. Um, Tottenham is a team that's going to be the big one for them. It's it's the head to head between Inter and Tottenham for sure. Uh, Tottenham play very exciting, atta- attractive football, attacking all the time, uh, but they can be had. They had they were had this weekend by 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 I forget who it was Watford maybe Watford. Yep. Yeah, so they can be had. Now, Inter need to take videotape on that, that, how Watford did it, and try to do emulate it the best they can. Um, it's going to be an entertaining game, no doubt, because uh, there are going to be goals in those two games between Inter and uh, Tottenham home and away. But that's going to be the make and break, I think. And uh, whoever whoever comes out of that the best is going to finish second, because I, I don't think either of those teams are going to catch Barcelona. No. Despite Tottenham winning the group last year with Real Madrid and, and I think Dortmund or whoever it was, um, I don't know if they're as good this year. And they do have Harry Kane, though, but still, I don't think they're as good yet. It's still early. I'm, I'm enjoying the theme of uh, Serie A v. Uh, Premier League here. Um, uh, yeah. Definitely got a chance to prove ourselves against that league that thinks they're the best in the world, uh, you know, over some games here. you. I mean, if anything, we're going to be treated as some real good ones. Um, you know, we, we, we already talked about this with John. Um, Roma have possibly nine points in the bag here before they have to see Real Madrid for the second time. Um, you know, when you look at uh, CSKA Moscow and you look at Pilsen, uh, you know, so we, we got to think that Roma at a minimum are going to go through Group G as the second place team. And if they can come up with a way to, to knock off Real Madrid, um, if you ask La Liga Gav right now, and he's, he's raving about the new Real Madrid under Lopetegui, yeah. He seems to start to have this thing figured out without Ronaldo, and a lot of it has to do, in his point, paraphrasing what he said, 
Ronaldo's not there anymore, so they're finding out that they have other ways that they can get it done without him, and they're doing it pretty quickly. Was so, it two Bs, Bale and Benzema? Bale and Benzema in particular, absolutely. And then you've got that midfield. You've got Modric, who's been had a phenomenal World Cup and is going to carry that over. Isco's just brilliant, and uh, there's a lot of pieces there still at Real Madrid. Don't just all of a sudden rule them out because Ronaldo's not there anymore. Um I think that Juve will be resourceful enough to get out of Group H. I think that they'll do it as the group winner. Um, I'm not encouraged by what I've seen from Manchester United so far at the early start of the season. It seems like Mourinho's back to his old tricks of picking fights with people. And I got and Valencia like coming that. in second in that group. You think United will fail to qualify? I do. Wow, wow, okay. I haven't really put together any, any predictions, but I think Inter can get it done over Tottenham, okay? Um, are they a delight to watch going forward, Tottenham? Absolutely. But I think that Inter have the pieces defensively. They've got Divry, they've got they've got Miranda, they've got experience like Asamoa and and Versalco. So, you know, if that group can all come together, Inter, there's no reason why Inter can't finish second in Group B. When I just look at this on the surface, I just think it's so hard uh, when you look at Barcelona and Tottenham, um, who've made a habit of each getting at least in the last 16, Barcelona getting further. Napoli... The reason why I put Napoli ahead of Inter in terms of ease, they have the manager that's been through the wars and has proven that he can get his teams far into this competition. Now, yeah, there you go. I just got done on a Liverpool podcast with our old friend Dave, and I said, you know, kind of mapped out, you know, some of the things that are going to intrigue me with this Napoli and Liverpool in particular. You know, as far as it relates, to Napoli and Liverpool. Are you are you like me, just salivating at the prospect of seeing Nabi Keita for Liverpool and Allen for Napoli? Just seeing who can cover the most miles in that game. Oh, that's going to be awesome! I mean, you got to you got to have a, a stop clock on each of these guys, or a mileage log, or, or a Fitbit, or something on them, because they're going to log so many miles. Indeed, indeed. Um, and then, obviously, a lot of uh, homecomings there with Perry San Germain in the picture, Gigi Buffon coming back to Italy, uh, Edinson Cavani playing his old team, um, Alisson. You know, you know, Alisson obviously returning to Italy, and you know, so, so there's some there's some homecoming stories there, Ferrati. Um, you know, coming from PSG to Napoli, uh, you know, you know, to take on not to take on Napoli. Uh, we'll see how he how he factors in. But Napoli's path is, I gotta think at this point because I think that Liverpool are going to qualify out of this group. So if Napoli have a path out of Group C, it's because Paris Saint Germain is going to get knocked out of this group. Um, and this is a dangerous prediction to make, but when you have a team that has so much money that is invested in all of these players but haven't proven anything beyond the only team that the only manager that's taken PSG beyond the round of sixteen, Carlo Ancelotti got him to the last eight. You know, in these recent times when PSG came into all this money. I think I'm accurate in that. I don't think they've gotten any farther. I think there's a lot of round of sixteen exits here, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, if you got Ancelotti, Ancelotti against Klopp is an interesting chess match, but Ancelotti against Tuchel, give me Ancelotti all day and twice on Sunday. Don't sleep on Tuchel. He is an apprentice to Klopp, and Klopp against Tuchel will be very entertaining because they play both heavy metal attack, as, as Klopp calls it. Um, Tuchel is, obviously doesn't have the, the pedigree as Ancelotti or even Klopp uh, for that matter, but um, he he does know his stuff. I saw how he played with Dortmund, how his teams played with Dortmund. Uh, he was very very good teams there. Um, it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm not even going to say Liverpool is locked to finish first. I think it's going to be haymakers for the 
those three teams and I don't know who's going to win. So whoever survives is going to make it out. Um, cause it's, you would, you know, odds on people are going to say, Oh, Liverpool, they got to the finals last year. They should, they should win automatically. Right. Well, yeah. And they have some three of the best players, three of the best attacks in the world. Right. So does PSG. They got Neymar, Mbappe and Cavani. Um, that's, that's scary. And then Napoli have what Napoli have. Napoli play beautiful football and they have a manager who knows how to win these kind of games and, 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 tournaments so i don't know who to pick it's a toss-up with all these and it's whoever gets the most points um on the road i think uh and, and who can hold serve at home it's it's it sounds obvious i guess but i don't know who's gonna win it's a take a name out of a hat it's gonna be that close i think hopefully for uh napoli they show up better than they did against man city and some of the other teams they played last year um so they don't go out in the first round with no wins or whatever um, but yeah, I, I foresee it'd be a dog fight and maybe it might come down to like goal differential or whatever the tiebreaker is. Yeah. I mean, that's the fun thing about the champions league, just looking at it on the whole, the way they've reformatted this, the group stage is going to be more important this season than it's been in years past, because the way that it was formatted in years past, there's always two teams that you could look at and you could look at the group and there's like, these are the two teams that are going through hands yeah. down. Yeah. You know, now you've got like group C. I mean, I'm not going to be disrespectful to Red Star, but Petty Saint-Germain, Napoli, Liverpool, it's going to come from two of those three teams, and I'm having a hard time figuring out which two are going to do it. Right now... Whoever does the best gonna, in Serbia is going, to, is, going to do the, is going to move on. The two teams that do the best in Serbia, I think. Right. You've got a Group B where any of those four teams could go through, because I won't discount PSV too much. They've, they've yeah. got, they, they bring a little something to the table. They won the Eurovice, um, so. Yeah, Group A, you've got three teams that could probably Ooh. do it. Oh, yeah. Your Schalke boys are in a group where that's just totally up for grabs yeah. um, for those two spots. Um, I mean, people look at Locomotive Moscow as a seeded team. Watch Locomotive Moscow play, then come, then come talk to me yeah. you know, before you just dismiss them. You know, Bayern probably might have the easiest draw of all the seeded teams. You could probably also argue that Man City have a pretty easy draw as well. But, I don't know about that. I mean, they're going to win, but I don't know if we're coming second, Leon and Hoffenheim, that's going to be a tough one too. So, I mean, it's it's so many teams, like you said. There's, yeah. We're not even getting to Europa League because Europa League I mean, is just as hard. Well, really, Group G is really the only group where you look at it and say, cut and dry, these are the two going through. Yes. Um, with Real Madrid and Roma. So, all right. So, let's, let's, let's sum this up as far as Serie A teams are concerned before we drift too far here. Um, I'm going to say Roma go through. I'm going to say Juventus go through. I'm going to say Napoli go through at the expense of PSG. I'm going to say Inter miss out. Oh, okay. Uh, Roma's going to go through second of the group. Juve's going to win their group. Uh, I'm going to say Napoli just miss out. And I'm going to say Inter make it. Okay. So we, we, so we both the... think three teams are going through. Yes. I'm going to push Napoli through. You're going to push Inter through. Okay. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll see how that we'll see how that turns out. We'll see how we look in the end. So, all right, moving over to the Europa League um, Group F. Uh, AC Milan was not a seeded team in the uh, Europa League draw. They were in the second pot, uh, but they're in a very interesting group. Uh, Olympiakos yeah. from Greece, um, Milan Betis from uh, Spain, who you're very familiar with, Richard, and then Dudelang, uh, Dudelanga. From Luxembourg, am I pronouncing that right, or is it Dudelange? It's probably Dudelange. If it's uh, Dudelange from, from Luxembourg, okay. first uh, Luxembourgish team to make it. That's uh, interesting. And and they've they've got to be happy with their draw, just for the simple fact that they've got some pretty marquee names coming to their uh, 
coming to their goal wherever yeah. they're going to play. I can't believe they have a ground that's suitable for a UEFA match. Um, and then Group H, our other uh, Serie A participant, Lazio, was seeded. They get Marseille, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, and Apollon Nicosia from Cyprus. Um, let's start with Milan's group. Um, this is not a done deal. Uh, you know, going to Greece, and even though we have fond memories of going to Athens uh, for Champions League finals. Um, That's a hostile you know, crowd there. <laughs> it's a hostile crowd. And you have a Batiste team that there's a reason why, I mean, you know, Riza Dermisi is at Lazio because he's surplus at Batiste. They have another left back, and the name escapes me, uh, who came on like gangbusters for them at the end of la- at the second half of last season. Um, some very interesting attacking pieces there. Uh, tell us a little bit about Real Batiste and what they're going to bring to the table and the difficulties they're going to cause Milan. They are a very underrated team. They, they they caused havoc in La Liga all last year. They are my they are my pick to sneak into Champions League this year. That's how good I have. I believe that they're that they are. Um, don't look now. Don't look out now. But you know the reason no one pegged them to make Europa League last year, and they came on like gangbusters. They've had quality for a long time, and it finally clicked last year with the manager that, that came in. Um, and so they're just kicking off from that from from last year onto this year. Uh, they're going to be a difficult, difficult team. Um, many people who, anybody who follows world football, obviously the Seville Derby is very big. Um, and if you watch any of those home games, uh, when they play Seville, it's just ridiculous. The, the TIFOs that come out in that, that game. So that's going to be a hostile crowd, um, uh, for sure. Uh, they're going to give Milan everything they can fight. This is not a, a easy group for Milan at all. And Olympiacos at Olympiacos, that, that place is just, uh, if you want to watch some of the best derbies in the world, go watch a game like PAOK against uh, Olympiacos at Olympiacos. Yeah. Oh man, that is a hostile crowd. Um, so I, it's just going to be a tough one for Milan. I think they have the hardest of the two game, uh, two teams from Italy. Uh, they got the most difficult group in, in that sense. I, I, I think they go through. I think Batiste goes through. Batiste, a, a, a striker that, that 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 came onto the scene second half of last season. His last his name is Moron. It's yeah. spelled like Moron. But he's no moron. The guy can play. <laughs> so the guy can play, and he's going to be a pro- he's going to be a handful for Milan when uh, uh, Olympiacos. What little I know, I think Marco Marin is still there, the German international that actually yes, spent yes. a little time at Char- Chelsea, and he everything pretty much runs through him. Um, you know, so uh, so so Milan will have their hands full. I think they qualify along with Batiste. I think that you know, and in order to finish, you just got to finish in the top two. They don't, yeah. You know, there's no advantage to winning a group when you go into the uh, knockout round draw. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think both Batiste and um, Milan are going to advance through. Um, and you know, depending on how Olympiacos does, maybe they get advanced through too as a third team. But um, Milan and, and Betis should be the teams that go on. Uh, group H, uh, the intriguing thing here, a little bit of a uh, Rome uh, Rome derby reunion. Um, Lazio, when they play Marseille, Marseille managed by Rudy Garcia, formerly Roma manager, and now Kevin Strutman's over there. Yeah. Uh, so some interesting storylines there. We know what Marseille also brings to the table with players like Florian Tovan with oh, uh, yeah. Dimitri Payet, um, Sakai, the right back, the Japanese international. And Strutman. Uh, uh, and Strutman. Uh, Luis Gustavo, I believe, is still in the picture there over yes. there at... Uh, at Marseille, okay, um, you know, so clearly going to be the team that gives Lazio the most trouble, especially since they were Europa League finalists last season. Um, through your uh, knowledge of uh, Bundesliga football, uh, tell the folks a little about what we can expect from Eintracht Frankfurt. Well, it's going to be easier task than it was last year. The, the manager they had last year, Nico Kovac, is the current manager of Bayern Munich. So yes. he had a team 
uh, Eintracht Frankfurt going at all cylinders. They got players like Ante Rebic, uh, Luka Jovic. Um, Boateng was there before Kevin, Kevin Prince Boateng, not, not Jerome, obviously. Um, they got a lot of good pieces there. Um, they did lose their goalkeeper, um, Lucas Radeski, but they did pick up uh, Bernd Leno, I think, in his replacement, or someone else. I forget who it is. Um, but Eintracht is a difficult team. They're not going to be as good as they were last year, so I think they're not going to be the team that qualifies from this group. But they have pieces in there, and Ante Rebic is is one of those strong pieces. He was he was instrumental for Croatia in the World Cup. Um, he's that good of a player, and they got so many young players on that team um, that can cause havoc. If they can figure figure out the way they played last year, they're going to be trouble for Marseille and, and Lazio. But I don't see it at this point. What they've shown so far in the Bundesliga this year that they they seem like they just don't have it anymore. I saw the um, Super Cup against Bayern and to, to start the season because they won. They actually won the Super Cup last year, uh, the one the DFB Pokal final last year, excuse me, over Bayern. So they played them again in the Super Cup this year, and Bayern just tore them to pieces. It was like 5 nothing by halftime or something. So they're not the team they were last year, but they have the pieces to be dangerous and tricky. Um, so Lazio and Marseille should advance, but it's Okay, that's what harder. I've got too. Yeah. Yep. That's, what I've got. That's, what I've, that's what I've got as well, Lazio and Marseille as well. And obviously Atalanta, as we... As we found out, <clears throat> uh, went out of the Europa League through the qualifying stages, uh, lost on penalties to Copenhagen. Uh, I believe it was 4-3. Um, so, uh, yeah, so uh, just uh, could not uh, could not finish the drill. Uh, so no European football for Atalanta this season, which might make them a dangerous proposition as far as Serie A is concerned. But uh, we think Milan and Lazio, so we've got... Both teams coming out and, and qualifying in the Europa League. We think that three teams from Serie A will qualify out of the group stage of the Champions League. We both agree on Roma and Juventus. Uh, Richard thinks Inter will go through. I think Napoli can go through. Uh, so, uh, you know, give us your thoughts on the, the, the draw at Serie A sit down on Twitter uh, or on Instagram. Uh, we're going to wrap this bad boy up with Roberto Mancini's called up Azuri for the Nations League. Given that transition music a workout today, Richard, you usually only use it like <laughs> once. So, but here we go. Um, all right. So Roberto Mancini has called up his Azuri. As you, if, if you don't know by now, um, UEFA has decided to, since there's not really much of a, 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 as part of the qualifying process, I suppose, for the uh, European Championships in 2020, they're going to have this uh, UEFA Nations League. Um, we talked about this months ago, Richard, about the format and how it works. Um, they're basically tiered. You're in a group with two other teams. So Italy's in the top tier of European teams, um, where there are like four groups of three or something like that. Um, the winner of each group, they'll all advance to play in a little four team tournament in the summer. Uh, and I think it's just knockout and third place and final, um, the middle team, the second place team in each group is pretty much just in purgatory. They stay in that top tier. But if you finish bottom of your group, you're going to drop down to the second tier. The winners of the second tier get to move up one. So that's – have I confused everybody already, Richard? Uh, yeah. Okay. The one, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. So essentially, um, Italy have, over the international break, uh, they play Portugal uh, and against – and against Poland. They actually will play Poland in Bologna on Friday, September 7th. 
and they're going to play Portugal in Lisbon on September 10th. These will be Roberto Mancini's first official matches in charge of the Azzurri uh, since taking over. Um, one interesting note from what I understand, Ronaldo not called up for the Portuguese uh, team for the Italy game. Uh, I think that uh, there was some talk that he did not want to be called up. He said that he wanted to focus his time on getting acclimated at Juventus. So, um, no, that's and good. I, I gotta go. I gotta go and even. I didn't even look at Portugal's team to to, to see if that's confirmed. But those were the stories that were kind of getting floated out there. So, <clears throat> but let's get into Mancini's first squad for his first official matches. His goalkeepers. He's taking four with them. Uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma at Milan, uh, who is expected to be the starter. Uh, Alessio Cranio of Cagliari, Mattia Perin of Juventus, and Salvatore Sirigu of Torino. I don't see much. I don't see much to complain about here. No, Cranio did well last year. I think he deserved to get a call up. Obviously, Donnarumma, Perrin um, at Juventus and Sirigu. He's had a resurgence coming back to Torino from PSG and 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 on loan. So, um, yeah, I'm happy with the top four. Uh, it po- must be what uh, what got Cranio so inspired and why Cagliari won today at Atalanta. He got that call up, <laughs> started to play his ass off. So. All right, let's go to the defenders. We've got Cristiano Baraghi of Fiorentina, Leonardo Benucci of Juventus for some reason. Um, not, not, it's not on Juventus, but getting called up for some reason. Not that he's on Juventus. <laughs> Mattia Caldara of Milan, Giorgio Chiellini of Juventus, Domenico Crescito of Genoa, good for him, Emerson of Chelsea, Manuel Lazzari of Spal, Alessio Romagnoli of Milan, Daniele Rugali of Juventus, and Davide Zappacosta of Chelsea. I got a problem with the Chelsea picks because they have not even played. Um, I mean, is that, uh, are we, we're, we're, you know, there's got to be some other players that uh, can play in those fullback positions that are a little more deserving, isn't there? Yeah, you would think that you would think there would be, um, you think Claudio's name would be involved at least. Um, if you were Diesel to- Destiny of Torino? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm not so sure about this. It's just maybe they're doing um, Conti a favor or something, or Conti's not there, Sari a favor or something, but uh, I don't know. I do like the Manuel Lazari pick. Uh, he's I done agree. very well with Spal so far. Yeah. Beautiful assist to Antonucci last week. So, yeah, that's good for him. But the other, you know, the, having the Chelsea guys there, it's it's a little head-scratching. Ha- happy with the Beragi selection, too. And uh, Crescito as well, yeah. yeah. And Crescito. Both of them have played, uh, have, have gotten off to good starts this season. There's no... Uh, you know, doubt about it. I mean, it, it, as much as I say, okay, Leonardo Benucci, I mean, at this point, what other center backs are available? I mean, a Daniele Dugani makes it, who hasn't even played for Juventus yet this season. Caldara uh, as well. And Caldara has not played for Milan this season. So I guess that shows you the lack of playing time that the center back, the Italian center backs are getting that are worth picking, <laughs> yeah. you know, at the very least. So, um, you know, this group could be better, but I don't know where you're going to go to find a better. At least on the fullbacks, there are at least some answers that are better than the Chelsea guys that were selected. So, um, you know, so that's uh, that's really my only complaint about the defenders at this point. Midfielders, uh, Nicolo Barrera of Cagliari, good for him. Marco yes. Benassi, Fiorentina, very good for him. Yes. Uh, Brian Cristante of Roma, Roberto Gagliarini of Inter, uh, Jorginho of Chelsea, Lorenzo Pellegrini of Roma for some reason. And uh, Nicolo, Z- Nicolo Zaniola of Roma. So, I mean, Mancini's going away with a lot of guys that aren't playing a lot right now. I mean, that's kind of one of the recurring themes. They're fresh. Is that what it is? 
<laughs> I think I they're along for the they're they're along for the ride to learn what it is like to be with the national team because I don't see a lot of these guys getting a chance to play. I mean, Barella, Benassi, and Cristante, obviously. Um, Gagliardini has had his ups and downs. For Jorginho, there's no doubt about it. Lorenzo, Lorenzo Pellegrini, as we just talked with John, um, he's not so sure about that. And then you got Zaniolo, and you're like, okay, even that's even more of a head-scratcher. So uh, you think you could do a couple more guys in there that, that deserve it, but hey, uh, maybe give the guys who don't have any pitch time some time to get on the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I guess I so. I guess so. Um, yeah, but I mean, guess you, you look across the landscape again and said, we're, we're probably, this is another area where we're probably short at this point. So, yeah. you know, that's, uh, so that's what we went with. So forwards is just a long laundry list. Let's go through it. Uh, Mario Bellatelli of Nice. Nice. Great to see him back. Uh, you know, and it seems like, uh, whenever Mancini has managed him, Bellotelli has somewhat behaved himself. So I'm good with this. Yes. Um, yeah. Andrea Bellotti of Torino. Uh, Domenico Berardi of Sassuolo, absolutely, after the start he's gotten off to. Federico Benedeschi of Juventus, absolutely, yes. uh, with the start he's gotten off to. Giacomo Bonaventura of Milan. Federico Chiesa of Fiorentina, no problem. Ciro Immobile of Lazio, because you do need a nine. Yes. Um, Lorenzo Insigne of Napoli. Pietro Pellegri of Monaco and Simone wow. Zaza of Torino. I, I don't know about these two. Um, uh, Zaza hasn't even seen the pitch yet for Torino. Uh, Today was the first day. He he got like a couple minutes at the end of the game. Oh, did he? But, okay, but but that, that's it. Um, okay, Pellegrini. He's he's at Monaco, so maybe they he is supposed to be the next big thing for Italy, and they're trying to maybe just get him in there with maybe Mobile, get in his head, maybe to learn something from him or something. I don't know. I I like the player. I don't necessarily like the pick. Take out Zaza for Cutrone. Yeah, um, why not? Or, Absolutely. Or uh, even your boy uh, Inglese. Dare I say it? Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Um, you know, those would be some. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's still an Italian international. I mean, I know he's retired. He probably wasn't a wasn't a possibility. So, what do you make? What What are your What are your thoughts on this Nations League? You know, what do you make of it? And uh, with with Poland at home and then away to Portugal, what are your expectations for the first two games of this group? There are pieces in there that could work. Um, just because we don't necessarily like all the picks doesn't mean it's not going to work. Uh, maybe Mancini sees something that uh, he's looking for certain pieces to to fit the team, and which I'm hoping he's doing, uh, and then it, it'll work. Um, I, I got to trust Mancini. You know he's going to bring Balotelli, so it's probably going to be Balotelli and Immobile up front for sure. Um, and then who's, who he surrounds with, Jorginho's got to be seeing the pitch, and Isigny as well. Um Against Poland, I, I I see them doing well against Poland. Um, yeah, they got uh, uh, Lewandowski, Robert Lewandowski, but there's not much there. I mean, Milik obviously is going to be there. Whether Napoli's going to let him play or not, that's that's another question. Uh, Piatek, if he gets a call up, would be good also for Italy. Um, he's done three goals in two games for for Genoa so far. Um, so they should beat Poland. Uh, Portugal without Ronaldo is still a good team. Um, but you got to you got to wonder who they called up on their team. Uh, Andre Silva's probably, you know, chopping at the bit to try to play some Italians and do well against them. You know, after last year's uh, uh, poor season, so uh, it's it's a it's it's favorable for Italy. I'll Give me a that. second. I'm pulling up Poland squad right now. So okay. there's nothing. Oh wait, here, I think I just got some here. Hold on. Uh, I'm, okay, I got I got the players. Poland squad. Uh, here's a Poland squad that'll play uh, Italy on September 7th. Uh, Fabianski from West Ham, Skorupski from Bologna, 
Chesney from Juventus, Bednarik from Southampton, uh, Berezinski from Sampdoria, uh, Zvigla from Visla Plok, Glick, who we know, uh, from Monaco, Kaminski from Fortuna Dusseldorf, uh, Kedziora from Dynamo Kiev, uh, Pietrzak from Visla, Reka from Atalanta, Rebus from Lokomotiv Moscow, um, Blazikowski from Wolfsburg, Frankowski from Jagalonia, Goralski from Ludogratz, uh, Kadzir from Dynamo Zagreb, Klitsch from Leeds, uh, Krajcevic from Lokomotiv Moscow, Korzawa from Amiens, Lenetti from Sampdoria, Makazewski from Le- Lech Poznan, um, Romanchuk from Jagalonia, Zelinski from Legia, Zelinski from Napoli, Lewandowski from Munich, and Milik and Piatek. Oh, beautiful. So yeah, Milik Piatek is in there. You deserve to call up. So yeah, it's a decent squad. I mean, uh, you'd love to see all the Italian boys uh, playing uh, for Poland there, but um, they got a decent squad. I mean, yep. Italy should be able to win those games, but they, the attack looks certainly uh, dangerous. And you got Zelinski on there who, who could make waves as well. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a decent squad for, for Poland. Yeah, Portugal uh, definitely not no Ronaldo uh, in the call-ups. Uh, goalkeepers are Beto, Claudio Ramos, and Rui Patricio. Uh, defenders Cedric, Joao Cancelo of Juve, uh, Luis Neto, Mario Rui of Napoli, Pedro Mendes, Pepe, Rafael Guerrero, and Ruben Diaz. Ruben Diaz is with uh, Fiorentina, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, okay. Um, midfielders Bruno Fernandes, Jedson Fernandes, Pizzi, Renato Sanchez, Ruben Neves, Sergio Oliveira and William Cavallo, and in attack, Andre Silva, an old friend, uh, Bernardo Silva, Bruma, Jelson Martins, Gonzalo Guides, and Ronnie Lopez of Monaco. So That's a good team. Yeah, that's going to be a good team. we got to play them in Portugal, or Italy, Italy's got to play them in Portugal. There will be some challenges, even, you know, Sanz Ronaldo. Um, so I think four points is, is a successful run here. Win at home against Poland, find a way to get a draw at Portugal. And I think that that's the tone that Mancini can set to show the rest of Europe and the rest of the world that Italy are back. Uh, what do you think? I agree. I like that. And, you know, they should be able to get to three points uh, against Poland, and then if they can get a draw away um, and Portugal, that'll be that'll be huge for them and trying to advance or whatever they're going to try to do in this Nations League. They were all trying to figure out. But I'm with you. That's 100. percent Yep. So that should be uh, kind of the barrier. So we'll see what Italy does here uh, over the course of those two games. Certainly looking forward to it. Uh, you know. Um, they're not World Cup qualifiers. It's a different competition. It's one where we're going to have to kind of dip our toes in the water and get used to, but uh, nonetheless uh, should be uh, a couple of compelling games here uh, for the Azzurri. So while Serie A is not going on, we at least have uh, the Azzurri uh, the back in our lives, and uh, you know hopefully they can pound out a couple of good results here. Um, so with that, we're going to put a bow on this edition of Serie A sit-down. Uh, let's uh, take, our, take a time to do some shameless plugs. Richard, we'll start with you. Yeah, as always, you can find me at r underscore k h a r m a n on Twitter sphere or Instagram. Excellent. I'm at ftc underscore twenty one on Twitter. Um, we have a YouTube page. Uh, you'll have the videos coming up here for our top five goals of the week. Um, that'll be uh, coming up. Um, Calcio Consultant will put out a blog this week. Uh, you know, in the midst of the international break to offer my first impressions of every team in Serie A. Uh, so, uh, you know, look out for my piece on that. And uh, you can also find us, we have our own channel on SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, so please subscribe there. Again, one more time, 
Uh, big thanks to John Solano. We come away experts on Roma because of him uh, and his knowledge and what he offers to us when uh, we have him on. So we do thank him for his time. Um, and, uh, you know, meantime, uh, go to at City I Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Give us any ideas. Give us any uh, comments or suggestions for how we can make the podcast better. We, uh, uh, we're fans. We do this. But we, uh, we also uh, enjoy listening to uh, the folks who are giving us a listen. So, uh, you know, for Richard, I'm Frank. Uh, we're City I Sit Down. We thank you for taking the time to listen to us. And, of course, as always, please tell your paisans about us. Ciao. <laughs>